Welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? A show where our host engages in a lively conversation with the guest. The guest chooses the topic and the host has no prior preparation or knowledge of the topic. Please note that the opinions expressed on this program are the opinions and views of the host and the guests and are not necessarily the same opinions and views of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studio. And now, here's your host, Chad Knight. Welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? Episode 54. Welcome to my mind mare. Why is the old saying, when you do something wrong, you took a left turn? The saying means that you've deviated from the prescribed path. You took a left turn when perhaps you should have continued on the path set for you. I've never really thought much about this saying in the years past, except for that odd thing gamers tend to say when asked if they go left or right. They will undoubtedly say they wish to go left, for that is what good adventurers do. Perhaps there is more to this than I previously thought. Sometimes the road to success is not down the flat, easy path directly in front of you. Sometimes you need to deviate from the road and go down a path less traveled. Robert Frost wrote in his poem, The Road Not Taken, something I think basically says, take that left turn for less people travel it. His words are actually, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I think this means that we need to take the path less traveled, for if we don't, then we will get to that age when we look back on our lives and we might have some regrets for things we should have done that we never did. I'd like to think that the regrets I have in life are mostly for things I haven't done versus things I have. So the next time someone says to you, looks like you made a left turn, thank them and say, it's what all good adventurers do. And isn't life an adventure? Now, let me thank you for the time you've spent listening to my ramblings and those of my guests. Without you tuning in over the last year, we would not have been where we are today. Now that brings me to another topic, which will be touched on in this segment quite a bit over the next few weeks. I need you all, if you're fans or listeners who tune in, please share this podcast with your friends, family, teachers, enemies, acquaintances, bosses, underlings. I guess what I'm asking is that you share this podcast. When the podcast has been shared in the past, there's a definite increase in listeners. So help a brother out if you would. And with that plea, I say, end my mare. Our guest tonight is Amanda Leckler. I met Amanda somewhere around 2007, I think. She was dating a friend of mine, and at the time, he wanted to introduce her to gaming. Amanda is a good person who I thoroughly enjoy talking with. We, in years past, have had a lot of discussions on car rides from conventions, and they got a little off-color sometimes, which honestly just makes them more fun. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you, Chad. Now, I have a portion in the show that I like to call Five Questions, and why, you may ask yourself. Because there's six? No, because there's five questions. Whoa. (laughs) All right, you ready? Go for it. All right, number one, your favorite superhero. My favorite superhero. Correct. Ooh. See, I'm not much for comic books and superheroes, so it's hard for me to come up with a superhero, per se. I can maybe come up with a movie character. Sure. 
I would have to say Norman Thayer from On Golden Pond, played by Henry Fonda. Okay. Because he tells it like it is. If he's got a question, he'll just blurt it out. And when all else fails, just swear at you. Okay. So, number two, your favorite author. Favorite author... Well, this might be kind of cliche. Chad knows me well enough to know that I'm a big Harry Potter fan. Mm -hmm. So, J.K. Rowling's up there. Then when I look back in my past, I'd say Judy Bloom was probably up there as well. Mm. If you had to choose, you can only read one of them for the rest of your life. It'd probably be Judy Bloom, Because she explores so many things that are about the human experience. Okay, fair enough. Number three, your favorite musician. Weird Al Yankovic. Wow, that is probably the fastest that question has been answered. Anyone who knows me, I have been a huge, huge Weird Al Yankovic, Yankovic fan since I was eight years old. Now, of course, you're talking about the guy who does the polkas, right? The guy who does the parodies <laughs> of many different songs and things. I always laugh because there is an Al Yankovic who was a polka guy. and Frankie Yankovic. Yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. My bad. <laughs> Here, I'm trying to sound smart, and I'm not. Yeah, not going to work that time. All right, number four, your favorite color? Purple. Purple, okay. And number five, this one seems to be the one that gives people the, the most pause. What's your favorite TV show of all time? Of all time? Yeah. Hmm. I might have to come back to you on that one a little bit later because I do have a lot of different TV shows that I watch repeatedly mm -hmm. on Netflix. I think we all do. A lot of it depends on my mood or the time of year. Okay. Because sometimes I'll watch British sounding related shows that you might find on PBS. And then a couple months later, I'm sitting watching reality TV. So Fair enough. But it, there's there's usually that one show... I mean, for me personally, I've already said it on here, but for me personally, it's the Andy Griffith Show. Okay. You know, it takes you back to a simpler time, an easier time. I guess for me, I don't really have a go-to TV show as much as I would have a go-to movie. But TV show, probably looking at some kind of a comedy, something early to late 90s-ish sitcom. God, that sounds an awful lot like Friends. I never actually got into Friends. Oh, really? I never got into Friends until after it was done and in syndication. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway. Not, Sorry, I'm a, I'm a cop that's, that's fine. It's <laughs> your time now, Amanda, to talk about anything you want to, except your topic. We'll get to that in a little bit. All right. Well, Chad was correct that we did meet in 2007. Woohoo! And the only difference is he and I met at that time, but I actually knew who he was before that because of a lot of his dealings with the Wassa Community Theater and his stage performances. Ah. So I had seen him on stage quite a few times before he actually met me in person. Okay. So when the guy I was dating, Adam said, yeah, my friend Chad, yeah, my friend Chad. Well, it took a 
couple weeks until I finally figured out that, oh, I know it's Chad Knight. <laughs> so, yes, we met on a trip to Gen Con. Yeah. And that was our first dealings with each other was let's go on a five-day road trip, six-day road trip. And the only thing we had in common was Adam. Yep. <laughs> when we first met each other, that's all we had in common. But what was the phrase from that weekend that will live forever? You've got a nose. Exactly. It's, to explain to people out there, it was day four of this convention? Day. Oh, I think it was day two or three. Was it that soon? But anyway, if you go to Gen Con, if you know anything about Gen Con, it is a all-day, four-day gaming convention and you start early in the morning and you just go i mean if you wanted to you could go 24 hours there's something going on there is something going on for 24 hours but we ran pretty much like an 8 a.m to midnight schedule might have been one or two in the morning a couple nights by the time depending on if i was buying dice or not well and depending on whether or not we went to that little red restaurant and sat there for well that that was outside of gen con it was but we would we would go get a couple hours of sleep, and one night we're sitting in the hotel room. It was Adam and you and I, and we're watching the roast of Flava Flav. Flava Flav. And we're so fucking tired that whenever a commercial would come on, we'd all just kind of start just dropping off, and then a show would come back on. Somebody would be like. Flavor Flav's back on! And we would continue to watch this train wreck as it (laughs) continued to go on. And we all just looked at each other going, why are we watching this stupid shit? We need to go to bed. We have train games to play at 8 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And then, and then, it gets, finally gets done. Everybody lays down in bed. And out of the darkness we hear Amanda say, No, I believe it was you. No, that was you. Well, the way I remember it is Chad said something, and I turned and looked at him and said, did you just say you've got a nose? And Chad looks at me and goes, maybe? (laughs) As you can tell, sleep deprivation has taken a toll on our memories. I just remember somebody said something, and we both looked at each other to try to confirm who said the words and what the words were because neither one of us knew who was actually talking at the time. That is quite possible. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to jump into today in history and then we'll get to your topic. Sounds good. All right. So today in history, I get all my history facts from www.history.com. This day in history, August 4th, 1934 federal prisoners land on Alcatraz. A group of federal prisoners, classified as most dangerous, arrives at Alcatraz Island, a 22-acre rocky outcrop situated 1.5 miles offshore in San Francisco Bay. The convicts, the first civilian prisoners to be housed in the new high-security penitentiary, joined a few dozen military prisoners left over from the island's days as a U.S. military prison. Alcatraz was an uninhabited seabird haven when it was explored by Spanish Lieutenant Juan Manuel de Ayala in 1775. He named it Isla de los Alcatraz, or Island of the Pelicans. Fortified by the Spanish, Alcatraz was sold to the United States in 1849. In 1854, it had the distinction of housing the first lighthouse on the coast of California. 
Beginning in 1859, a U.S. Army detachment was garrisoned there, and from 1868, Alcatraz was used to house military criminals. In addition to recalcitrant U.S. soldiers, prisoners included rebellious Indian scouts, American soldiers fighting in the Philippines who had deserted to the Filipino cause, and Chinese civilians who resisted the U.S. Army during the Boxer Rebellion. In 1907, Alcatraz was designated the Pacific Branch of the United States Military Prison. In 1934, Alcatraz was fortified into a high-security federal penitentiary designed to hold the most dangerous prisoners in the U.S. penal system, especially those with a penchant for escape attempts. The first shipment of civilian prisoners arrived on August 11, 1934. Later that month, more shiploads arrived, featuring, among other convicts, infamous mobster Al Capone. In September, George Machine Gun Kelly, another luminary of organized crime, landed on Alcatraz. In the 1940s, a famous Alcatraz prisoner was Richard Stroud, the Birdman of Alcatraz. A convicted murderer, Stroud wrote an important study on birds while being held in solitary confinement in Leavenworth Prison in Kansas. Regarded as extremely dangerous because of his 1916 murder of a guard at Leavenworth, he was transferred to Alcatraz in 1942. Stroud was not allowed to continue his avian research at Alcatraz. Although some three dozen attempted, no prisoner was known to have successfully escaped the rock. However, the bodies of several escapees believed drowned in the treacherous waters of San Francisco Bay were never found. The story of the 1962 escape of three of, the men, of these men, Frank Morris and brothers John and Clarence Anglin, inspired the 1979 film Escape from Alcatraz. Another prisoner, John Giles, caught a boat ride to the shore in 1945 dressed in an army uniform he had stolen piece by piece, but he was questioned by a suspicious officer after disembarking and sent back to Alcatraz. Only one man, John Paul Scott, was recorded to have reached the mainland by swimming, but he came ashore exhausted and hypothermic at the foot of the Golden Gate Bridge. Police found him lying unconscious and in a state of shock. In 1963, U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy ordered Alcatraz close, citing the high expense of its maintenance. In its 29-year run, Alcatraz housed more than 1,500 convicts. In March 1964, a group of Sioux Indians briefly occupied the island, citing an 1868 treaty with the Sioux, allowing Indians to claim any unoccupied government land. In November 1969, a group of nearly 100 Indian students and activists began a more prolonged occupation of the island remaining there until they were forced off by federal marshals in June 1971. In 1972, Alcatraz was opened to the public as part of the newly created Golden Gate National Recreation Area, which is maintained by the National Park Service. More than one million tourists visit Alcatraz Island and the former prison annually. <sighs> yeah, it was a pretty long one this time. Sometimes they're long, sometimes they're short. I have always been fascinated by Alcatraz. A lot of interesting little tidbits in there. Though. Yeah, there was, but the one thing they left out of this is the one thing that really intrigues me about Alcatraz is the fact that it's supposedly haunted. Okay. You know, just the fact that um, I have seen uh, footage and heard EVPs and such type things from, you know, investigations at Alcatraz. So, you know, kind of my, my bucket list kind of thing would be to do a ghost hunt at Alcatraz. I think that would be cool as shit. That totally sounds like something that's right up your alley, too. <laughs> it is. It is. But let's move on. Tonight is about you. It's about what you want to talk about. So, lay it on me. What are we talking about? Well, when you first asked me to be your guest for this week, 
I thought about a lot of different things and a lot of different topics. And I thought knitting. And I knew you'd think knitting and crafting and crocheting and anything Joanne Fabrics and Michaels and Hobby Lobby related. Exactly. All that stuff you got my wife into. Which is exactly why I decided not to do that as a Okay. Topic. Fair enough. So then I thought about other things that I love. And I realized there are not very many things that I do that you don't already know that I will talk incessantly about. Okay. Harry Potter. Um, I already did that episode, actually, with Emma. And I kind of had seen that as well. So I kind of looked through your different topics and that you've had for past podcasts. Okay. And one of the things that I thought about was something that is kind of dear to my heart. Volunteerism. Oh, okay. And things that... Maybe not necessarily volunteer, but like adult extracurriculars that you're not getting paid for. Okay. So I currently work in a nursing home. Volunteers are one of our biggest assets in that capacity. We have people come and help play bingo, play cards, just come in and talk to people. And we love those volunteers to death. Oh, yeah, I can see that. And I've also thought about other things that I personally have done through the years. Some things you've done as well, Chad. Oh, yeah. Community theater. Yeah. I consider that a very big volunteer kind of thing. I've helped out with my old high school's theater and band departments as I was an actress and in the marching band and the color guard twirling flags and things. And sometimes even just at Christmas time. There were times when I would take your daughters for an overnight yep. to give you guys a, a night away and I'd go take them Christmas shopping. A time shopping. to go frantic Christmas shopping. And I was able to go Christmas shopping with them for you and you guys could go for them. Yeah. To me, that's the kind of thing I think everybody in the world should be doing for other people. There's something you can do to volunteer you don't need to get paid for. Absolutely. I uh, I mean, just thinking about it quickly, I mean, some of the things I did, like you mentioned, WCT, even though I really didn't consider that so much of a volunteer thing because it was something I just loved doing. Mm -hmm. But it took up some of your time. Yeah. There was a consistency about it. I'm sure you made other friends and connections with other people. And sure. You didn't... You weren't paid for it. Well, I wasn't paid money. You ended up with a final product that was something to entertain other people. Right. And, and like you said, I wasn't paid per se, but this is going to sound really corny and cheesy, but being someone who's also been on stage, you may get this. I was paid in applause. And that's what, in my opinion, volunteering is. I go to my nursing home job, and I find that I find out somebody wanted shoestring potatoes. Okay. The, the little tiny yeah. potato things, deep fried, comes in a canister. And she and I had gone on a shopping trip, and she's like, I would like to find those. Well, we couldn't find them. The next day, I went to the grocery store, and I said, you know what? For $2, I can buy her a can. The light in her eyes and the smile on her face, that was thank you enough. Oh, yeah. And that it, that was my payment, was that brightness. Mm -hmm. Because she knew I did something special just for her, and I didn't expect anything in return. 
True. And let's see what what else. I'm just trying to think here. I uh, I volunteered with um, the local uh, junior high slash high school game club here, which I did as well. Yes, you did as well. Um, and with their convention, mm-hmm. which uh, was a big was a big time commitment. It was. Um, and you more so than me, but yeah, we both. Yeah, I mean, a lot of hours. A lot of hours. And it's just, it, the, the the thanks there is, it was a combination because we got it from the guys who were in charge, the teachers and, and the people in the in the community that were in charge of, especially Evercon. Mm-hmm. You know, we got a lot of thanks from them. But to me, more important than Evercon, I mean, Evercon was a great little distraction for a couple months. Mm-hmm. But going in there, I used to go in every Saturday and run games for the kids and just to watch these kids grow as people exactly to go from a kid who's just this little shell of a person who's afraid to get out and talk and interact with people to you know end of the year or maybe the next year even to be like you know what not only do i enjoy these games but i'm gonna start running these games and i ended up doing a lot of that too i saw a couple of those kids grow because i ended up being a board member for the gaming club scholarship right. committee and the first time i was able to go present an award to somebody it was for a young lady who i remember her first couple weeks there being so shy and so timid yeah. and seeing how much she grew over the years and knowing that so many people that i knew and myself were a part of helping to cultivate that that willingness to be outgoing and want to help others. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's those kind of things that really make volunteering worth doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nikki and I have we we last I want I want to say like April May or something like that. Uh we volunteered and we made um just little food things for um the uh, United Way, you know, they had this thing where we packed, I don't know what it ended up being, something like 15,000, well, we didn't pack 15,000, but they packed 15,000 individual meals, you know, and it was only a couple hours. I mean, they had so many people there, so many different groups there that it was only a couple hours, but it was, you know, it was just that thing of being out there going, okay, you know, it might not be much, but these 15,000 meals means... That's 15,000 meals that aren't missed, mm-hmm. you know, by someone who needs to eat. Uh, you know, so that was always kind of cool. I, I will, you know, I volunteered through church for a lot of years um, and, and I taught, you know, like religious said. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, and this is going to sound bad, but thankfully that's over. <laughs> Both of my girls are now out of the out of the program, and that was part of the reason I did it. But not only that, I mean, there was a lot I learned about myself, and I learned about kids in general, um, and I taught different age groups. I, I spent most of my time teaching fifth graders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know why I ever left teaching fifth graders. They were, of all the kids I taught, they were the best. They were the ones who would question just about everything, mm-hmm. but they still had enough fear in them of authority 
that you to could not keep, goof off on you constantly. constantly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then from fifth grade, I went and I taught a year of first grade. And you see all this gray here? I'm pretty sure that's where most of that came from. First graders are insane. I can definitely see that. Um, you know, the, the way the class was set up, basically, we would spend three quarters of the class teaching the week, the the lesson for the week. Mm -hmm. And then I would give them the last quarter of the class to, you know, color or write or whatever they wanted to do. You know, I would have pictures they could color each week and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And after about the fourth week, they're like, we don't want to color. <laughs> Sounds like me at the nursing home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were just like, well, we we can do this whenever, dude, you know? Yeah. So I had to readjust things and figure things out. But talk about stressful. You know, these kids think they are... 25 years yeah. old. Yeah, they think they're big kids. Yeah. So, you know, the end of class comes, they all want to scatter. Well, I can't let them scatter. You know, their parents have to come get them. Right. Um, you know, they, they would... Because mom and dad would just ship them in, they could go downstairs and go to the classroom. But, you know, it doesn't work that way. And the first couple of weeks, you know, I got a couple of parents that were like, why is my kid still down here? And I'm like, if you'd have read your handbook, you yeah. would have seen that, you know, first and second graders have to be picked up. Yep. So first grade was very stressful for me. And then I did a couple years in 10th grade. Oh, that's a jump. That was a jump. Um, the first, and, and I wasn't the main teacher either year that I was in 10th grade. I was the assistant. Um, so basically it came down to I was a guy who tried tried to keep order in the classroom. Uh, but we had horrible 10th grade classes. Ooh. And I'm sad to say that the last year, well, this year, this past year when I taught this last one, was my daughter's class. And... It was horrible. And she knew they were horrible. She used to say, Dad, how do you put up with us? You know, that's a pretty smart kid when you know you can say that. Yeah. About yourself and the group that you're in. Right. But, so let's let's go at this from a slightly different angle. What is the one volunteer thing that you've done in the past that has given you the most satisfaction? One of the things I used to do was when I, I had moved away out of town. When I came back, my old drama teacher found out I was back in town. Okay. And lo and behold, found out that the music department needed a new color guard coach. Now, I did get paid for being the color guard coach, mm -hmm. but I had so many hours. It was a set amount Fee. that right. I was going to be paid. I and I'm guessing it was... Basically, oh, I was. If you put in all the hours that I did, I was making about a dollar seventy-seven an hour. I think we figured it out <laughs> as. But doing that, the five years that I did it, I made some really strong connections with several of the girls that were kind of under my leadership. And to this day, I still have close relationships with at least three of them of the twenty-five that I work with. Okay. And to me. I consider that partially volunteering because there was so much extra I had to do. And I made a, some really good close friendships out of it. And I met interesting people and they introduced me to their friends. And now I see them in bars and go, wait, aren't you still in high school? 
<laughs> no. Ten, ten years later. <laughs> no, you're old. I am getting old. I don't I think ser- you're as old as me, though. I'm only a couple years behind you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I know. I'll never catch up to you. Well, unless I croak first. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but no, and I, th- I think back of like other volunteer things that you've done and Nikki has done. Nikki was a Girl Scout leader. Mm-hmm. You used to coach softball. Yeah. Um, other things I've done, I sometimes, like I said, I don't even know if I consider them volunteer. Mm-hmm. But I consider more of an extracurricular because it gets me out of the house. Well, if we want to go that way, there's every summer I do game night at Bigby's mm-hmm. for just about three months of every summer where once a week we just show up with a bunch of board games and I run a, a role playing game in the back room. And, mm-hmm. you know, it. Uh, we, we usually draw right around 20 people a week. Yeah. You know, which for the size of most Bigby coffee houses. Yes. You know? I, I do the very similar thing on Monday nights. I go to that same Big B coffee, and I have a knitting group that gets together. And we do a lot of donating of knitting and crocheted items that we, we do. And we I have, was in there we a have, couple of weeks ago on a Monday night, and you weren't there. I wasn't. I haven't been going the last couple of weeks because it's kind of summer, and I'm kind of trying to take my own time by myself. <laughs> and my work schedule's been kind of goofy, but... Um, yeah, we have about 60 members to our group. There was a huge 25 to 30 show up at any given time. Yeah, there was a huge circle last time. Oh, yes. You you go in there and you're just like, I, I feel bad for any customer who comes in that is not part of our knitting group. Cause yeah, it truthfully now Emma was working and she was the only one working. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. If they're here every Monday in that size, why do they have just. You know, one person. Any experienced barista that has gotten to know us will know that we are very, very patient. Right, with everybody and, and that's that works what she. That, and that's absolutely true. But so I went in there and I ordered something, and I think I had to wait twenty minutes or something like that. So of course, you know, I'm teasing my daughter because well, that's my right as a father. Of course. <laughs> and uh, so you know, it was fun. I kept telling her, "I'll come back there and help," and she'd be like. You could tell in her eyes she almost wanted to say, okay. Yeah. And I'm like, but I would have no idea what to do, you know, kind of thing. Let me take your money. (laughs) Yeah, you know. How do I ring it in? Right. But, you know, I know the owner, and I could probably get away with that. Yes. You and I both could probably get away with that. But. It would not be kosher. No, not at all. Not at all. No chance in hell. So... You know, it's one. You know, one of the volunteer things you did, and you did a lot when you were with uh, with Adam, is we used to go because Adam and I had a small business, mm-hmm. and before we opened the store, we used to go with us a lot to these conventions we would do every month or twice a month or sometimes three times a month. Oh yeah. And you would spend, especially if one of us couldn't make it, you were kind of the go-to because Nikki and I had small kids. Yes. So the yeah, at the when, time they were itty bitties. Yeah, so for Nikki to be able to find the time or work out a schedule where she could actually do it, it was hard. So mm-hmm. not that she never did it, but you were the first go-to, mm-hmm. you know. Because I could get the time off of work. I didn't have children to worry about. Right, I, and honestly, I don't think we ever really paid you other than a, a 
you know, a badge to get in. Badges and hotel rooms. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? I was I was totally okay with that. Yeah, you always seem to be. I mean, Because you know how many friends I got to meet across the state? And then we'd see them at Gen Con. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, it, and it's one of those things is, I don't know about you, but I still have some of those friends that, in fact, Kelly just took, well, a few months ago now, though, took Emma's senior pictures. I did not know that. Yes. Wow. So that was kind of cool. You know, um, I don't know if you know Al Seeger, but he was a guy that I met through uh, Oshkon when it was still Oshkon. Now it's New Game of Palooza or something like that. I remember the name. So um, Al is my partner in Point of Insanity Networks uh, on the podcasting. Um, I still talk to, and I just saw Bean about two months ago. Bean. Yeah, he's still out there. He is out there? He is. He's no longer writing um, role-playing games. He's now writing novels. Good for you, Bean. Yeah, exactly. Good I don't know if he listens you. to my podcast, but he well, should. We're going to have to tell him that he needs to Because I listen listening. to your podcast, Bean. Start listening, Bean. But anyway, um, you know, people like that, that, you know, I may not talk to them all the time. But, you know, just randomly, I'll be on, like, Facebook, and I'll see, oh, Kelly's on. Hey, mm-hmm. what's up, Keli? You know? Yeah. And, and and things like that. I actually probably talk to those people more than I talk to Adam these days. And the only reason I talk to Adam so much is because we game together on Sunday nights now. Yeah, yeah. He DMs our group for friends and my current boyfriend and everything like that. And right. The two of them sit next to each other, and I sit all the way across on the other side of the table. <laughs> Away from them. Figure that one out. Is there any oddness there between those two? I haven't noticed, but nobody's told me anything otherwise. So if they need to say something to me, now would be the time to tell me. You know, but Adam is... Adam, I I don't know your new boyfriend all that much. I mean, I've met Keith a couple times. Yeah. But Adam's a pretty laid-back dude. Yeah, and so is Keith. So, yeah, there are probably not a whole lot of issues there. I think... Tim and Ashley, whose house we game at, I think Tim and Ashley were more concerned about whether it was going to be an issue or not. And I'm like, you know, I wouldn't have asked Adam if he wanted to come join our group if I didn't think it would be a problem, so. Yeah, you know, and like I said, Adam's a laid-back dude. He's, sometimes he's too laid-back. I will agree with that one as well, (laughs) seeing as how long we had dated before... The inevitable, yeah, let's break up. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. But yeah, no, we're talking about the whole coming to the gaming. Yeah, doing the the conventions and stuff. You know, I never actually considered that, like a volunteer kind of thing. But it really was. I always considered it a supporting my boyfriend in his business. Right, but I think those two things are not necessarily exclusive. I completely see where you're coming from with the whole volunteer thing, because... I never asked you guys for money. I never asked you for gas money. I never asked you for anything other than, can you find me a place to sleep? Yeah. And And there were a couple times where I expected to be sleeping on the floor. But you never ended up sleeping on the floor that I'm aware of. No. So. I did once sleep with your daughters in a room. (laughs) That's quite possible. In Oshkosh at the dorms. Oh, yes. And then when I told you, no, they're sleeping, don't go in there, you gave me the look of death and said, they're my daughters, I'm going to check on them. And I'm like, okay, they're going to wake up and I'm going to have to deal with them, but they're your daughters, go ahead. (laughs) That's all I kept thinking was, okay, I'm going to have to deal with them. Yeah, but they sleep pretty heavily. 
Yeah, they. I was actually surprised that they did go back to sleep right away. Oh yeah, I, you know, it was just one of those. Well, you got to remember, I was probably on a mission from the woman upstairs, and I don't mean God, I mean my wife. Exactly. And if she told me to go check on the kids, I'm gonna go check on the kids. Yeah. You know, but you know, volunteering. Let's just talk about volunteering in general. Not so much specifics here, but volunteering in general, I think, is something that not only is good for the community, obviously, mm-hmm. helping out the community. It's not only good for the people that um, are reaping the benefits. Are reaping the benefits, but it's good for you. It's good for your soul, for lack of a better, a better word, you know. And you know what? Karma comes back to you. Yeah. Everybody has something they can do for somebody else. I agree. Whether it be my grandmother teaching me how to knit, and later on, years and years and years later, I can use that skill to make blankets for the needy or sweaters for people. And Cthulhu hats. And Cthulhu hats for someone I know who's sitting across the table from me right now. I can't wait for winter so I can wear my Cthulhu hat again. <laughs> it's really cool. It's a knitted Cthulhu hat, people. Think, Actually, picture this. No, picture this. No, it's crocheted. Oh, I'm sorry. It's crocheted. But Thank you. Picture this. So it's a dark green hat, like a like a face mask hat, and there's a place for your eyes, and then just freaking tentacles hanging from it. It's awesome. It is awesome. Yes, I, I saw it. Chad saw it. Had to be made. And I said, can you do this? And she said, I think so. And within a week or two, I had it to you? Yeah. Still haven't gotten your Packer hat to you, though. My my, my Jane hat in the pack color, Packer colors. Yeah, that one, we're going back about seven or eight years. Yeah, I've been that. waiting a long time for that one. Yeah. But I have not bought a Jane hat. Oh. And I even saw a Jane hat in Packer colors. Ooh. At one of the conven- the one down in Point, um, uh, uh, EgoCon. Okay. Somebody was selling them. They had Jane hats, and then they had Packer-colored Jane hats. And I was like, no, Amanda said she was going to make me one. Yeah, I just keep not getting to it. So what you're telling me is if I see one again, I should probably buy it. Ask me where I'm at, and then when I don't text you for the next hour, then go ahead and buy it. Okay, fair yeah. enough. We'll, we'll put it at that. So, you know, the other things I do, like, I will go to conventions now, and I will volunteer. Last year I volunteered. I worked the front desk at Gamehole Con in okay. Madison. Um, I put in 15 hours, 12 hours, 15 hours over a three-day weekend. That's... Well, you know, and and I did sort of get paid because I got the cost of, well, I got like half my badge back. Right. They gave you a normal weekend pass badge back, Mm -hmm. but I had the VIG, so I still had to suck up that, but it was, and it wasn't so much for the fact of getting the badge back. That's just, to me, that's just a bonus. Mm -hmm. I like to do it because I get to meet people that are running the convention. I get to see how other conventions run. Mm Um. I get to meet new people. Always. You know? And this year when I go to Game Hole, I am not working the desk. I am I am actually running games this year. Ooh. So um so far I have only put in my um my uh uh Fury of Dracula board game. I'm okay. gonna run that. I'm thinking of a couple others. I haven't 
pulled the trigger yet, but I've got to soon because they open up for um, getting starting to purchase your games and stuff on the 5th of August. So I got a couple days. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, and it's, I enjoy doing these things. And that's the great thing about volunteering is don't volunteer and do something that you don't enjoy. Find something that you enjoy doing and find the people or the project that allows you to do the things you enjoy doing. And that makes volunteering a whole lot easier. Don't, Be because, don't go volunteer because if I do these couple of hours, they're going to give me money back or they're going to buy me lunch. Right. Do the volunteering because it's going to enrich your life. Right. See, I am not going to volunteer. If somebody comes to me and goes, hey, we really need some help with gardening. I'm going to say, hey, go talk to my wife. She loves doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to go out there and do it. It's just, you know, it's not something I enjoy doing. I'm not going to volunteer to do it. Now, if you say, well, we need somebody to come that, you know, somebody just to water. We'll give you a hose with a spray on it. Okay, you got me. That I can do. I'm not getting down on my hands and knees and digging around in the dirt. That's just not what I do. Bending over. Right. Picking strawberries. Just not very conducive to my health and well-being. <laughs> exactly. You know, Nikki likes to, we were up in Door County. She likes to pick cherries. Well, we got lucky this year because we, when we were leaving Door County, the day we were leaving, she said, we should try to stop somewhere and pick cherries. And I said, well, we'd stop somewhere and buy cherries. <laughs> And she's like, okay, we can do that. So we stopped at a couple of the different orchards. And there were no fresh cherries to be had because <gasps> picking started the next day. No. <laughs> yeah. So there was, they said there wouldn't be cherries to buy for like a week. And you couldn't start picking till the next day. So to me, Chad went. Whew. And to your wife, it was challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> to my wife, it was just one of those things. It was it was unfortunate, but, you know, for the pricing that they have up there, you can almost go to the store and buy them for the same price. You know, I, I, I understand there is a – there is something to it. For the people that really enjoy going out and gathering their own fruit, there's something to it. Right, like strawberry picking, blueberry picking. Nikki loves doing all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know what? I can buy those in the store. And she's like, yeah, but they're so much more. And I'm like – that, to me, is the convenience of going to the store and buying them. Yeah. You know? But, I, you know, it's just, there's there's so many different ways that people, you know, volunteer. Um, Nikki will do things to help my mother out, you know, just to, uh, mostly because I don't I don't have the time. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm busy all the time. And if I'm not busy with something at work, I'm busy with podcasting or... You know, whatever on the on the outside. Same thing happens between me and Keith. Keith's parents will ask for help with fixing their printer at home, and they can't figure it out. And yep. Keith and I will go over there, and the next thing you know, Dad's asking me all the questions, and Keith is eating food with Mom in the kitchen. Well, everybody has a job they need to do. If I wasn't there, Keith would be doing my job, but you know what? If it gives me a chance to connect with dad a little bit. And right. And that gives Keith time to be with mom, you know, and, and I, I don't know if Keith is, you know, for lack of a better word, a mama's boy. I, I kind of am, you know. You slightly yes. I, I mean, I've I, seen that in in you, and not yeah. and not to make it sound like it's a bad no, thing. No, no. But I mean, 
So, I have a very good relationship with my mother. Yes, you do. You really, really do. And to me, that's that's a very important relationship. So if Nikki and I go over there to help her with something and I end up talking to mom, that just gives me more time with mom. And I think Nikki mm-hmm. understands that. Absolutely. You know, and if she, and she's more, you know, adept at doing things such as working on computers and things like that. I am not. Right. The older I get, the less I know when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yes. You know, because everything is constantly changing. And Nikki has a job where she changes with it. Yes. My job doesn't change all that much. I install computer cabling. It doesn't matter what technology is on each end. They tell me what type of cable to put in, and I put it in. And they, the technology basically installs itself. Correct. Correct. But, you know, volunteering, like you said, you shouldn't do it for anything you're going to gain from it. You should do it for the enrichment of your own life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important aspect of volunteering. Um, I think for me at this point in my life, the, the, the thing that I've done that gives me the most joy internally was working with those kids through the through the game group. Um, now, granted, it is something I love to do. I love to sit there and tell stories. I'm a, I'm a storyteller. Really? Yeah. You never noticed that, huh? No. Tell me more. Sarcasm. 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 <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, you know, and and that to me, that's what gaming is. I get to tell stories, and then it's like acting too because I've got four, five, six people sitting around the table that are going to help me tell the story. Exactly. And it's a lot of fun. But more than the fun and that is finding these kids that sit down at my table and the first few times you can barely hear them because they're just, you know, they're shy and they don't want to talk and they don't want to make decisions. And they're afraid. And I, and I always say to them, I say, hey, think of it this way. You made this character. What's your character supposed to do? I, don't worry about the game. Tell me about your character. And that's that's one big thing where kids kids love to talk about themselves. Absolutely. So you get a kid talking about his character and he's like, Oh, he's this he's this, you know, this this bad rogue. He goes out and he steals from people and he does this and, and he can climb walls and he can do this. Okay. Now let's put him in this situation and then they're talking like, no, you don't understand. It's a sheet of paper. Yep. If he and they're like, well, what if he dies? Hey, I got more paper. Exactly. You know, and it and it, every new gamer is like that. What if my character dies? Yeah, and that's that's the hardest part to teach a new gamer is it's okay if they die. It's a piece of paper. Have fun. You know, it's like I talk to people and that um, that are gamers that I game with on a regular basis. And I say, when you go to conventions, are you a more mellow gamer than you are at a normal table, like with all your friends, or do you just kind of like let loose and just do all that crazy stuff you normally wouldn't do with a character. And I hear more often than not that people are like, well, I kind of pull it back because I don't want people. And I'm like, fuck it. Here I come. And see, that's the time when I go berserk. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this worked in the past with my regular gaming group. Let me see if I can embellish it a little bit more with these people that have never met me before. And I'm probably never going to see again. And it doesn't matter if I'm an idiot. You know, and, and that's exactly the thing. So, like, I like to play rogues. This is no secret to anybody that knows my gaming style. Not a chance is that a secret at all. 
So, you know, when I go to conventions, I try to play the rogue. Why? Because let's take this situation. I'm in a, I'm in a tavern and this very wealthy looking person comes on with a big, you know, uh, money pack on his, on his hip. Now, in a normal game, I might check it out, but 99% of the time, I'm going to leave this guy alone. Because if he's got that much money, that he's got this big sack of coin... He's got enough people looking out for his right, ass. That he... That unless we're high-level characters, which, by the way, people, if you get roleplay on a regular basis, unless you start high-level, you never get there. Yeah. <laughs> I think the highest I ever got was in the... Level 10, maybe? That's pretty extreme high. Well, I think you were in that. Quite possibly. Yeah. But, you know, you go to a convention where it's a one-shot. You're going to play this game once. Maybe, just maybe, like, um, there was a game I played last year, Game Hold, that I'm going to play again this year. It's called Route 51 by Night, which is a three-day game. So you play for two hours for three days. Okay. I mean, each one is a different scenario, but you play the same character. Okay. So it's kind of a cool, it's it's a really cool setup. But anyway, that aside, so, but if I'm at a convention and I got the same rogue and I got the same rich guy, I'm going to try to pick him without hesitation. Mm-hmm. And people will be like, you're going to start war. You're going to, I'm like, great. Swipe, roll the dice. Excellent. Story arc. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy things that you tend not to do because there is a connection with characters and we're getting way off the topic of yeah, volunteerism. Yeah, thinking about that as well. <laughs> so we'll get back to that. But as I was saying, you know, it's getting these kids to come out of their shells to become part of a group because I find in a world now where everything is on your phone, is on a game console, a tablet. on tablets, the interaction, like when you and I were in school, that's all you did. When you weren't in class, you were talking to your friends in the hall, in the commons, yes. you know, whatever. Now, and now you walk into a commons at lunchtime in a high school, every face is in a phone. When we were in high school, you were lucky if you got to borrow your parents' phone because you were going to a party that night. And your parents wanted to make sure that you could call if there was an emergency. Yeah, my parents never had a cell phone. I had a cell phone before my parents ever did. I did too. And I was 26 when I got it. I'm trying to think. No, I was 27 when I, I got, got it. I got my first phone right before Emma was born. So nine, end of 1999, like I think like September of 1999. And I only got a cell phone that early because I worked at a store where we sold cell phones. And one of the requirements is we all had to have cell phones. There you go. Now, granted, at the time, I got this great huge package for nothing. And by huge package, I mean I got 100 minutes of call time. Woohoo! It's better. I had a 50 text message package. Oh my gosh! 30 bucks. Wow. So, you know, now I know anybody listening that was born after 2000 is going, huh? But everything, every text counted towards your data. Yep. So if you had a package with text in it, that means it didn't count against your data. Oh, yeah. And data was expensive, expensive, expensive. 
and 100 minutes. That means you had to use 100 minutes. That was during off-peak times. because. Oh, yeah. No, make sure you're calling on a night or a weekend. Right. Or... Well, the, the one I had, you could call from 7 at night to 7 in the morning and um, all weekend long if it was a subscriber in the same network, which was Cellcom at the time. Yes. You could call between those 12 hours and then all weekend long, and it didn't cost you anything. It didn't take any of your minutes. It didn't take any of your... In fact, I think it's kind of still that way now with Cellcom. Well, now it doesn't matter. I mean, I've got... Um, well, actually, we changed the cricket here recently, but I had I had uh, Sprint for like 15 years. And at first, it was only if you called Sprint you know, people. Right. And then, and then remember when you used to have to get uh, not long distance, but like nationwide? Yep. And it was crazy. If you wanted to call outside of your local zip code or your local area code, you needed to have nationwide calling. Oh, yeah. Or it cost you more minutes and possibly data. Uh-huh. So I went with Sprint way back when because I could get it as part of a package because I was traveling a lot for work. Yep. For you, it totally makes sense. Right. But it's just, you know, it just got so crazy. Now you go anywhere and nationwide calling is included. In fact, half the world you can call yeah. now on your regular package. But where was I going with this story? I have no idea anymore. Where did I start with this story? Getting kids out of their out of their shells. Yes. I don't know where cell phones came in. Oh, because we were talking the about lunchroom. Uh, yeah, how things yeah. have changed. So, you know, you would you these kids now they don't interact with each other enough. So with the game group, the nice thing was, is like once a quarter, so once every three or four months, they would have a video game day. Yes. Otherwise, cell phones weren't allowed. I mean, other than to call your parents and that kind of stuff. Right. Video game systems of any sort were banned. Just Don't bring you, your Game Boy. Don't, don't bring your PSP. Right. And if you're on your phone, we better not walk behind you and see you playing whatever. It better be a 911 call to your mother. <laughs> right. Type thing. And that made kids come out of that shell because I think now we kind of program kids into a shell. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why that form of volunteerism for me is what's most satisfying for me. Unfortunately, for the last couple of years, we haven't been able to make things connect. So I haven't been doing it, but I, I, I make up for that, I hope, through the game nights during the summer. Well, everybody has something that they can do for a while that... Sometimes oh, yeah. it's not a part of your, it, it, it doesn't fit in your schedule. You might go back to it years later. Yeah. And that's, that's an okay thing. Don't think your volunteerism has to be consistent, consistent, consistent for the next 12 years. No, absolutely not. Now, we started this with the question, what, you know, what has given you the most joy from volunteering? What's the one thing you've done volunteering where you did it once and you're just like, nope, never again, not doing it, done. When people do not have respect for you and the fact that you're not part of that organization, you are actually a volunteer. When they come up to you and they're like, you know, this just sucks. You shouldn't be doing this this way and this is horrible and you, why? I don't even know why you're even doing this. And that. You know what? I don't work here. I'm just volunteering my time. I don't have to listen to this. If this is the way you're going to treat me, how are you treating the actual people who do work here? Right. Or 
are running this convention or are giving you your medications at, at the nursing home. Mm -hmm. If I'm volunteering, I'm a volunteer. Please don't bitch and gripe at me. Let me know something's wrong so I can get the correct people. Right. You know, it's one thing if they're, if, if they've went through the, the steps of, they came over and go, okay, this isn't how you're supposed to be doing this. It's mm -hmm. supposed to be done like this. And they come back 20 minutes later and you're doing it wrong again. And they go through it with, you know, and, and I am not one for patience. I do not do well around stupidity. Yes. But I have learned over the years that it, not everybody catches on the same way I do. Mm -hmm. So if I'm working with volunteers, you might have to explain it two times, three times, you know. Oh, I've learned some very valuable life skills when I was doing the color guard coaching. When you have 12 different girls who learn in 12 different ways, you learn that there are different... Just because there's four or five basic ways of learning doesn't mean that everybody's still going to learn the same way in that one skill set. Right. They're going to... One person might be visual, but the other person's going to be visual with a little bit of hands-on. It's a, It can be a nightmare. So oh, I can yeah. totally see working with volunteers trying to teach and reteach and reteach and reteach and reteach. And just because you taught a volunteer the last time they were here doesn't mean when they come back that they're going to remember anything. Oh, especially if it's like a year later. Right. Or even, sometimes even a week later. Yep. So now... So you work at the at the nursing home. I don't know if you want to give the name of it. It's at Wassa Manor. Okay. What kind of volunteers do you guys look for? We, anybody who wants to work with people who need extra help, be it an old person who might have dementia, be it someone who's younger who might have um, MS, who can't quite grab a pencil, and might need help writing a letter to a, a relative. Someone who understands that you can't always hear when you're at bingo because you're deaf. And might be willing to just point out numbers so other people can win their bingo prizes. We have some people who come in and help out with church. And they'll help gather people and bring them all the way down to one end of the building and come and wheel them all the way back. They help with setting up rooms and clearing them down if, as needed. Um, sometimes even just, we had a lady the other day who brought in a bunch of silk roses and just said, I had these laying around the house. I thought it might brighten up some days. How many people do you have living here? And just going around, she gave them to us. She didn't want to deliver them. She just said, go ahead voluntarily making donations. Mm -hmm. That's just another way of volunteering to me, too. So now, who at Wassa Manor would our listeners, if they decide that they want to volunteer, who would they get in touch with? Um, you can contact my boss. Her name is Dawn, and she is in the Life Enrichment Department. Um, she is the Life Enrichment Director. Um, or you can call the main office and they can get you in touch with anyone else who might be in my department who might be in if Dawn is out. Um, there is a little bit of a process. Sometimes there's a little bit of a background check depending on what type of volunteering mm -hmm. you might do. Um, but that's, for a lot of different organizations, sometimes that is kind of standard because 
you never know what kind of people you might be dealing with and not realize, hey, if you have a criminal background with money that you stole from a cash register when you worked at McDonald's back in the day, well, you might not be able to help on these field trips because you're handling people's money while you're out in these stores. Right. So stuff like that might come into play. Okay. Um, but, yeah, you can contact my boss, Dawn. Um, I know there are many other... Do you happen to know... Uh, you got a phone number? I do not know it off the top okay. of my head. But, but they can would, just call Wassa Manor and ask for They can call Wassa Manor or Applegate Terrace. We are also associated with... They are a an assisted living facility... While the Wassa Manor end is a long-term nursing home slash rehabilitation center. Okay. All right. For, for the people who can't quite be on their own just yet. All right. You got any uh, closing words of wisdom? Volunteering can be a great thing, but it's what you make of it. Excellent. All right. Ever wonder to yourself... How do I get to let this guy know how much I like or hate his podcast? Or think to yourself, man, I'd love to be a guest on this podcast. I have a great idea for a topic. Well, you're in luck. There are two ways for you to reach out to me. First, send me an email at whosepodcastisit at gmail.com and leave me a message. Or if you're more into the social media stuff, you can find me on Facebook at POI Network or at Whose Podcast Is It Anyway. Either way, I look forward to hearing from you. Now, next week, I have a new voice to the show coming on, Alexi Smolensk. I think I'm saying that right. If I'm not Alexi, you can, you can correct me next week. He is from Canada, and I'm really looking forward to our discussion. I have no idea what he wants to talk about. He reached out to me and said, uh, you had a buddy of mine on? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I'd like to be on. And I said, great, let's set it up. So make sure to tune in next week and check that one out. So now we end this episode as we end every episode with Quote of the Day. I get all my quotes from BrainyQuotes.com. I have the simplest tastes. I am always satisfied with the best. Oscar Finnegal O'Flattery Wills Wilde was a prolific Irish writer who wrote plays, fictions, essays, and poetry. After writing in different forms throughout the 1880s, he became one of London's most popular playwrights in the early 1890s. He is best remembered for his epigrams and plays, the novel The Picture of Dorian Gray, as well as the circumstances of his imprisonment and early death. I love the book The Picture of Dorian Gray. Have you ever read it? It's on my to-do list. It is an amazing piece of literature. I recommend it to anybody who wants to read something of the classics, but not like a true what style or genre is it? Like, um, are you looking at like a Jane Eyre, uh, um, Charles Dickens type yeah, style? Yeah, Charles Dickens style type thing. It's very easy read, but the story behind it is just amazing. Okay. So I would recommend anybody read the, uh, the picture of Dorian Gray. So with that, I'm going to say I really appreciate you coming and talking with me, Amanda. Absolutely. It was fun. As I figured it would be. Of course. And with that, I want to say to everybody out there, thank you for listening for another week. And we'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook 
and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.